Hey, uh, got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 2, um, and we're going to look at some stories there. Actually, before you do that, would you be fair, grab a piece of paper. There's a sermon notepad in your, in your row there somewhere. Just rip off a piece of paper, pass uh, that pad of paper around. Um, I want to ask you a question, and I'm, I'd, I'd love for you to write the answer on this uh, piece of paper. Um, and uh, here's the question. By the way, this is not a trick question. Sometimes I do mess with you, but I'm not messing with you this morning. I just said, this is not a trick question, and I'm not looking for the, the right answer. Uh, you know, I'm, not look, I'm looking for the honest answer, not the right answer. You, you know, it's kind of like the, the Sunday school teacher who was teaching and, and asked the kids on, you know, in the classroom, you know, what's brown and furry and gathers acorns in the winter? And little Johnny raises his hand and says, man, it sure sounds like a squirrel, but I know the right answer is Jesus. I, I, <laughs> I'm not looking for, okay, Jesus is not the right answer here. We all love Jesus, um, but that, that's not the answer to the question I'm looking for here. Here's, the, here's the, the question I would love for you to answer honestly. Don't put your name on the piece of paper, okay? Here's the question. When God thinks of me, he feels blank. Insert your, you know, when God thinks of Scott, when God thinks of, of, of me, when God thinks of Steve, the answer is for yourself. When God thinks of me, he feels blank. You fill in the blank. Might be one word. Might be a couple words. Just write that on that, on that piece of paper, if, if you would. Um, and then when you get done writing that, that, that word on the piece of paper, just would you fold that piece of paper in half? Because uh, we're going to have a little organized chaos here this morning. Uh, what I would love for you to do when you're, when you're done there... Uh, you just write that word on a piece of paper, fold it over, and here's what we're going to do. If you're on this side over here, uh, on the far side, the far left-hand side, you're just going to pass your paper down the row. And when your paper gets down to the end here, the person on the end is just going to walk it straight a- across to the corresponding row. And you're going to pass that pile of papers. And when you get right here, and you're allowed to get up and walk, see, just well done, well done. And just, just walk it across to this side. And then when the paper gets right here on this side, when you're in this row, you just hand it forward, all the way forward, and then just put it right here on top of the, the, the TV right here. Um, and my wife, Jane, will grab it, and there's a little bag, and we'll throw it in there. And over here, you're going to do the same thing. You just r- take your piece of folded paper, pass it across. You can start doing it now. Pass it across. You guys get it over here. You guys get it over here. And when you get it to this end, just kind of pass it forward. And Terry, can I ask you, to, when, you when they get forward, just throw them in this bag over here for me? Balcony. I have no idea how we're going to do that up there. Uh, same kind of thing. Just keep it. No, don't throw it. Just keep, keep it coming right here. And Brad, Brad, would you stand up? Brad is your target um, to give to, not to throw at, but just kind of pass them across this way and get them, uh, get them to, to, to Brad there, and uh, that would be great. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to compile these, uh, your, your answers. We've done it in the other services already. We're going to compile them, and, and, and in a couple weeks when I, when I get caught up and get them done, uh, I'll, I'll show you the compilation uh, up on the screen here. I'll, we'll show you the results. But uh, here's the reason why I'm asking this, and you can keep, keep walking, keep, uh, keep doing that. Um, you know, when I worked for United Parcel Service, we, they, we had a new boss almost every year. They moved people around quite a bit. And, um, and what we do is when we get a new supervisor, a new manager, we pick up the phone, make a phone call, and say, what was this person like? What was she like? What was he like? How did they lead? And more specifically... How do we relate to them? I mean, because some of them, they, they, uh, they manage by yelling or intimidation. Some manage by manipulation. Some just wanted to be your friend. Some were just really distant. And we wanted to, how do we relate to this person who's in charge? 
And as we get to Mark 2 and into Mark 3 a little bit, what, what we're going to see is, Brian mentioned this last week, there's these five conflicts that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. And what they are all centered in is how we are supposed to relate to God. The Pharisees had one idea of how you appropriately relate to God. But Jesus was bringing a new way of relating to God. He was talking about the gospel and how the gospel provides new access, a new way of being in relationship with the Father. And that is really what the conflict was all about. And their picture, their distorted picture of God, caused all kinds of problems. A.W. Tozer said these words. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Anytime you see this phrase, the most important thing or the greatest thing, you know, sometimes that can feel like an exaggeration. But I want you to know, that's not an exaggeration. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What you wrote on your piece of paper is really important. What, you're, what, you're feel, what, what God feels when he looks at you. Because what you're thinking, your picture of God will determine how you choose to relate to him. And we have to have the right picture of who he is. And what we'll see here is with the Pharisees is they had an old picture. They had an old picture that they were just grasping and holding tightly to, and it was causing all kinds of problems. And you can see how this is true, that that, that picture, if it's wrong, can do very, well, it can, it can impact your relationship significantly. For the Pharisees, if you want to see a sneak peek where we're going to land, look at, look at uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, it's on page 1577 in the Pew Bible. Um, you don't have to turn there. But at the end of the story, these religious leaders, these people who were trying to be spiritual, trying to be in relationship with God, the end of the story here in, in chapter 3, verse 6, it says, At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Now, I'm showing you the end of the story. We'll get there, but you got to get this. Somewhere along the way, because of the people's picture of who God is, the Pharisees' picture of who God is, they actually got to the place where they thought murder was an acceptable option. And how do you get there? You get there by having a distorted picture of who God is. So I want to just show us that, that, that distorted picture they had and uh, I'm going I'm to fly through some of these stories. Uh, but first, I want to dive in the middle, give you a little context. If you look at verse 19, Jesus is responding to a question. This question has to do with fasting. Uh, I'll, I'll break that down for us here in a bit. But what Jesus is going to do, is, as he's, he's trying to help the Pharisees understand why he's doing, why he's, he's doing the things he's doing on days that you're not supposed to do them. Because the Pharisees are basically asking this question, why are you doing things we don't do, and why don't you do the things that we do? Why are you doing things we don't do, and why don't you do the things that we do? And Jesus replies by saying, do wedding guests uh, fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. 
No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. What Jesus is doing is they ask, they ask the question, why do you do things that we don't do, and why don't you do the things that we do? He's saying, look, there are old ways of relating to God, and there are new ways. And he's going to give three pictures. One, you have old marital status. You have two people. It's their wedding day. Their marital status is going to change. A wedding is taking place. That's that's the old status of relationship for them. Then you have old clothing that has a hole in it. It needs to be patched. Then you have old wineskins that are brittle and inflexible. You have the old old things, old marital status, old clothing, old wineskins. But then you've got new things, three new things. Now you've got new marital status. Now you have a new piece of cloth. And now you have new wine. And you don't fast at a wedding because those two don't go together. It, joy should, be, should mark a wedding. And you don't take new cloth, attach it to old clothing that has a hole in it. Because when it's unshrunk and new, when you wash it, it will shrink and actually will tear the old clothing. You'll have a, a bigger problem. And you don't put new wine into old wineskins because the new wine will ferment and you need flexibility of structures. And if that happens in, in new wine and old wineskins, you'll have an explosion and, and things will be all messed up. And so Jesus is in the middle of these conflicts. He's saying, look, there are old ways of relating to God. Old marital status, old clothing, old wineskins. But now there's a new way of relating to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what we need to understand. You can never mix the old with the new. When you do, you have a disaster. Which, by the way, is why we have the book of Galatians in our New Testament. Because a church tried to take the old ways and combine them with the new ways. And Paul literally says, who has bewitched you? You can't make, it's sort of like taking a liter of Diet Coke, some of you know this, a liter of Diet Coke and adding the candy Mentos to it, okay? And it causes a reaction and there's an explosion that takes place. Uh, and I'll, I'll show you this on the video screen. As long as you promise you'll never do this, or at least never blame me uh, if, you, if you do this. This is a short 30-second video a, a prank where someone put Mentos in Diet Coke, quickly put the lid on, so the next person, when they open it, something bad happens. Watch one little kid and then a mom. <laughs> Instant replay now. Instant replay slow motion for you just to get the full effect here. Yeah, not good. Not good. That's the old and new being put together. A mess. The Pharisees had this old way. This is, they had this picture of who God is. That picture just dro- drove a way of relating to God. Jesus is saying, no, there's a new way. But let me just walk you through these quickly, these, these old ways, so you can understand the Pharisees' mind. Uh, chapter 2, verse 15, Levi, uh, Matthew is following Jesus now. It says, later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And if I kept reading here, you know, the the, the, the 
the Pharisees are asking the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Why does he hang out with sinners? And the reason they're asking that question is because here's, here's their mindset. Here's their first picture of, of who God is. Basically, it's, if you want to relate to God, get cleaned up first. Get cleaned up, and then God draws near. You need to understand that from the Pharisaical mindset, if your life is a mess, clean up your mess, will you? You need to get your life in order, and when you get your life in order, then God will be in relationship with you. That was their mindset. So that's why they're upset about Jesus having a party with Matthew and these notorious sinners, these disreputable sinners. It's, is Jesus condoning that behavior? Is he saying it's okay to do that? Is he saying it's okay to distort, uh, extort? Is, is he saying it's, uh, it's okay to rob people? It, this has really shaken their, their whole paradigm of who God is. And it's troubling them because you clean up first and then God draws near. So that caused conflict. And then we get into uh, verse 18 where you have this discussion about fasting. It says, once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Israel fasted before they were exiled to Babylon. Israel fasted one time a year, day of atonement. When they were exiled and when they came back, they, uh, they added some fasts. They added uh, actually four fasts. They, they fasted in mourning for the loss of the Davidic throne, for the loss of the Holy Land, and for the loss of the temple. And they also fasted for their sin of idolatry. So now you've got five fasts. By the time of Jesus, the Pharisees are now fasting twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. And my guess is that Jesus is at the party on a Monday or a Thursday. And so what they would do is they would, on a Monday and a Thursday, put on sackcloth, put some ashes on their head, whiten their face a bit, and walk out of their house thinking dead puppies. Because man, if you're, if you're unhappy for God, you're spiritual. And it was really all rooted in performance. If I can be as, as mournful as possible, if I can debase myself as much as possible, then God will accept me. And so they had this, this, this idea that you, you just sort of, you, 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 you humbled yourself and you were, you were sad and that, that pleased God. And so when they see Jesus at a party, that just throws them for a loop because this is their second mindset. I worship God so he'll accept me. Man, if I pray, if I read my Bible, if I fast, if I do these things, I'll be more pleasing to God. If I act and worship in these ways, then, then he'll accept me. So when they asked Jesus the question about, you know, why don't, your, why don't your disciples fast like John the Baptist's disciples fast? Why don't they fast like we do twice a week? And Jesus is saying, because there's a wedding going on. There's a new way of relating to God. And yes, they will fast, but they'll fast with a different motive than you are fasting. So that, that was the, the second, second mindset from the second conflict in, in Mark chapter 2. And, and then we get to the, uh, the, the third conflict. Uh, you see it in verse 23. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were, un- were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days of Abiathar when he was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. 
Then Jesus said to them, the, son of, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Here's what's going on here. The, the, the Pharisees, they, they obeyed the Torah, but they had these verbal or oral traditions that were eventually collected in what's called the Mishnah. And so they added rules to what the basic rules you find in the first five books uh, of, of your Bible. It's called, called the, the, the Torah. And uh, one of those rules is do not work on the Sabbath. Okay, the Sabbath is a day of rest. So you got, you got one rule, no work on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees and the scribes decided, you know, we need to really give some clarity to this so people understand what it means to work on the Sabbath. So they created 39 categories of work. 39 ways that this is work, just so we're clear, so that, you know, if you do this, you know you're messed up. And then... Out of the 39 categories, they created six subcategories. So now, there are 234 ways to mess up, to break the law. And so on this day, the disciples are walking through a grain field, and they have broken two of the 234. What they have done is broken off a head of grain, and that is the equivalent of harvesting and reaping in the Pharisees' eyes. They have now harvested, and what they would have to do is put that grain in between their hands and rub it to get that husk, that shell off the grain, and they do that, and guess what? That's called threshing, and, and, and then you're eating it. So what you've done, out of the 234 ways to break the law of no work on the Sabbath, you have harvested and you have threshed. Why are your disciples breaking the law? And Jesus, I just kind of picture him going to scratch his head and go, man, I, I mean, you guys, did you not read your Bibles? 1 Samuel chapter 21, David's starving. He's got these friends, and they come to the temple, and, and they ask for food, and, the, and, the, and the, the priest says, you know, we don't got any food, um, but we do have this sacred bread. And what, what the sacred bread is, uh, is 12 loaves of bread, each loaf representing a tribe of Israel, was placed on the table of, of the, 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 this table in the temple, in the holy place, and it was called the bread of presence. And every Sabbath, they'd bake 12 new loaves to replace the old loaves, take the 12 old loaves out, and the priest could eat that bread. David is coming, and he's starving, and uh, the 12 old loaves had just been taken, fresh baked bread, it's just replaced these, these 12 loaves, have been there for seven days, and they're, they're available to the priests, and the priests give them to David, and David eats them. Technically unlawful, but God doesn't smite David, God doesn't strike him dead, and Jesus is saying, look, David did this very thing, and, and, and God didn't, didn't strike him dead. Here's why. Human need always takes precedence over tradition or ceremonial law. Human need, Jesus is saying, you know, you, you take this, these traditions, these things that are not, they're not moral law. He's, Jesus is not saying, there's a time to rob your neighbor and club him to death. No, that's not what he's saying. It's the traditions, the ceremonial stuff the, the, which they're not bad unless they become more important than people. But the Pharisaical mindset is this tradition takes precedence over human need. So there's a conflict. And then you get to the last conflict, which is found in, in Mark chapter 3. Jesus is going to church one day, he goes to synagogue. He went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, remember, no work day. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. 
Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. And don't miss the irony here. Jesus posing the question, is the Sabbath a day to do good or evil? Is the Sabbath a day to save a life or to take a life? And Jesus does good. He, he saves this man, he heals this man's hand. And what do the Pharisees do? They go and do evil. They go and conspire and plot murder, specifically the murder of Jesus. How ironic. How'd they get there? Wrong picture of Jesus. You see, in, in their mind, religious devotion trumps mercy. The Sabbath is the most important thing. And it trumps mercy. Jesus noticed the man with the deformed hand. The, the, the Pharisees are, are just we're watching Jesus to make, make sure he doesn't trip up. Because if he trips up, they're going to pounce on him. This is what the Pharisees thought. This is how you relate to God. They had a picture of God that was completely wrong. Their picture of God, this is how you relate to God. Get cleaned up and then God draws near. I worship God so he'll accept me. Tradition takes precedence over human need and religious devotion trumps mercy. But Jesus steps onto the scene and says, no, no, that's the old way. There's a new way of relating to God. Here's the new way. Instead of getting cleaned up and then, draw, and then God draws near, God draws near and cleanses. Guess what, church? God is not afraid of your messes. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't step back when you, when you, when you blow it. God is not afraid of our failures. And it's not, I worship God so he'll accept me. No, he has accepted me and I worship. Worship is a response to grace that's been given to us. We don't worship so he'll like us. He already likes us. He's already delighting in us. And because of that, when we embrace that, when we understand that, then we worship. What what else can we do? Out of his delight in us, we delight in him. We don't worship to try and get him to like us more. He already loves us. And tradition doesn't take precedence over human need. Human need takes precedence over tradition. We can't let ceremonial stuff, traditional stuff, get in the way of people. You can't, rules are not more important than people. And religious devotion does not trump mercy. In fact, mercy trumps religious devotion. In fact, mercy is religious devotion. It is a sign of someone who is in relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, now get this. When you had that piece of paper and you wrote, you know, this is what God thinks of, this is what God feels when he thinks of me, you gotta get this. If you do not have the right picture of God, you will attempt to relate to him in ways, in perhaps old ways or distorted ways, in ways that, will harm your relationship. You have to have the right picture of who God is. And God is love. And he delights in you. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we're, we're sanctified and being sanctified. Yes, we are saved and being saved. But you have to understand, he loves you. 
And that is his primary emotion towards you, his delight, his joy in you. And when you understand that he is love, then you get to relate to him in the new ways that he's made available through his son, Jesus Christ. A friend of mine named Tony and I were hunting. We went on a hunting trip. Timing was bad. He was Trina's birthday, but, you know, I was newly married. I've learned since then. I was going hunting, <laughs> bow hunting for elk. We're on the coast. We're looking for elk, and uh, we walk into a store and ask, you know, hey, have you, have you know where any herds are? And they're like, ah, I, don't, I don't know if there's any elk hunting open. Oh, yeah, that's open. There's just one unit that's open. And so we, we go up there, and we're hunting, and we see elk, and we're, you know, trying to hunt them, and we never really get real close to one. And so we go to eat at a restaurant and talking to people there about, you know, how the hunting's been. They're like, I don't, I don't think elk hunting's open. Oh, yeah, it's open. It's just this one unit over here. And then we're driving down the road to see this Oregon Department Fish and Wildlife van, and we pull up and ask, you know, how the hunting's been. And, and the, that, that agent goes, well, there's no hunting at all on the coast right now. And he looks at us as we're in camo. Uh, <laughs> you guys aren't hunting, are you? Um, I don't, I don't, what is hunting? Um, <laughs> we had accidentally become lawbreakers. We, did, we didn't know it, but, you know, if we had actually got an animal, fortunately we weren't good hunters, but if we, we would impose accidental poachers. And can I just say to you, there are times we accidentally, I don't, I don't think intentionally, Maybe it's just our family of origin. Maybe just we kind of get sucked into a way of trying to relate to God and we accidentally adopt the pharisaical mindset. And we think it's about performing for God when it's just about responding to his love for us. We, we, we sometimes value things like rules, bylaws, and other structures more than the people who are all around us that we don't notice that are hurting. It's just, it's accidental and it creates conflict in our relationship with God. And it's crucial that we have the right picture of who he is so we can relate to him in the new ways that he's made available to us.